And, and the reason we really want to, to honor him is because not only has he been such a blessing, but uh, he is one of the uh, founding uh, members of this church uh, when it was established. And I am so grateful to still have you here for counsel and, and, and all sorts of different conversations that have been a blessing. And, uh, you know, with, with the ladies, we don't really say the age, do we? I don't know if that's appropriate. But, but for the men, it's almost like a badge of honor. And it's my understanding you're turning 91 years of age. Is anybody beating him here? No? No one beating him? And so for that reason, uh, we just want to say, uh, may the Lord grant you a wonderful, blessed 91 year of life. And on behalf of the church, we just want to uh, pass you a card over here and, and honor you that way. So thank you so much for all that you do for us. Amen. 91 years. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to get to 100. <laughs> if the Lord doesn't come, but, you know, if he does, I'll still hit 100, right? <laughs> Amen. Happy Sabbath. So great to have you here with us. On this Memorial Day weekend, you have decided to spend it with us. What a blessing. And uh, we hope that you have been blessed by our service, but we want to continue adding the blessing through the sermon. So today, um, we are going to be studying from one book of the Bible. In fact, it's a short book, so I'm going to try to get through the whole book. You're just wondering, what, what short book is there that we could get through in one sermon? What book do you think it is? Huh? Oh, yeah, this memory verse, give it away. So when's the last time you read that book? I mean, for most of, of you, most of us, that book really hasn't come up very often. But I want to invite you to turn to Habakkuk and uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to be trying to, to see what this book is all about. Three chapters, three powerful chapters that are going to relay a lot of truth. You have no excuse because it's only three chapters. We want to use the Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. Friends, we want to begin with the fact that God is still working in a mighty way on earth today. Do you believe that? Is he working mightily in your life? Sometimes we neglect to see how God is working because we don't have enough faith or trust in him. But let me tell you, God is working in a mighty way. I've had evidences of that this week in a particular way that I want to share with you. Joel chapter 2 tells us that in the last days, there is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people will see visions and, and dreams. When's the last time the Lord gave you a dream? Well, two people shared about dreams that was given to them this, this past month. And I want to share with you because God is still working. I want to share a little testimony. Is that okay? And so I went to a Bible study this past week. And it's a Lansing church member who's been studying with a lady for two years. He went door knocking. He went passing out glow one Sabbath. And the lady didn't want glow because it was in English and she didn't understand. But she kind of got the message across that she wanted to study the Bible. So he said, I'm going to study the Bible with you. And he went to find someone who spoke Spanish at the Spanish church. And they've been going for two years studying the Bible with this lady. And last week, they asked me to come because they needed a translator, and the regular person wasn't available. So I come to the Bible study, and it's this dear lady about in her 50s, 60s. And 
we go through the Bible study and we make the appeal to join the Seventh-day Adventist church after two years of studying. And she's, she's hesitating. She's, she's, she's convicted, but she's not making that decision right away. And, and so I ask her, what's holding you back from making this decision? And she says, well, my family, specifically my husband, I don't want him to uh, turn back to the way he was. He used to lock me in my room used to sometimes abuse me when I used to go to the church that he didn't want me to go to. And I've been talking to him about the Seventh-day Adventist church, and he says, no, you should just stay where you are. You should just stay where you are. Every church has problems and issues. Just stay where you are. And she was attending a Pentecostal church. But she shared to me with me that she's been feeling for a long time uneasiness going to that church. She feels like something's not right, that she shouldn't be there even before she started the Bible studies. And now that the Bible studies have been going on for two years, she says that she feels even a greater conviction that the Seventh-day Adventist church is teaching the truth and is a true church. But finally, the last thing she shared with me that really led her to make a decision at the end of our study was that she said, this week I have been receiving a dream. She said, the dream is that I am going to a party. And the party is on the Sabbath. And when I get to the party, there's all sorts of people all over this party, you know, doing what people do at parties. And she says that out of her own mouth, she started telling everybody, we shouldn't be here today. We shouldn't be doing this today. Today's the Sabbath. We should be at church. Come on, let's go to church. And she wakes up out of her dream, and she's just like, why am I telling these people it's the Sabbath? Why am I preaching to them? And so with a threefold conviction of the Holy Spirit, the Bible study, and the dream, that day she made a decision to follow what she had learned and become a Seventh-day Adventist. God cares about his people. Now, we're doing Sunday soccer, and some people might wonder, why is pastor doing Sunday soccer? He must like soccer. He must like getting uh, exercise in. But we don't only do it for that. We do it because uh, becoming a member and a disciple means forming meaningful relationships with people. And that can't always be done when you sit next to someone in a pew because how much do you get to talk to them? How much do you get to interact with them? So I'm trying to to have opportunities where people can connect outside of just our worship hour where they could become friends and open up and then we could plant the seed of truth in their heart. And there was this young man or young boy, he's 17, 18, who came to the United States when he was 13 years of age from Guatemala by himself, crossed Guatemala, crossed Mexico by himself with $10 in his pocket and he made it to the United States. And here he is living. The government has put him in a group home. And he feels alone. He feels that he is scared. His girlfriend just broke up with him, so his world's falling apart. And he had been quiet all day. He hadn't said a word all day. He hadn't almost not interacted when we played soccer. But as I was dropping him at home that night, he finally kept me one hour in the car just opening up his heart to me after we had spent some time having fun together. And he shared his life, how his mom's barely eating, how his brothers and sisters barely have any, have any food and no shoes, and he's trying to send money back to them, how he just broke up with his, sis, uh, with his girlfriend and his sister is also struggling. And, and then he shares, but the only thing that's keeping me going is my trust and relationship with God. And he said, God has been good 
to me because he said, I have been praying about a church to go to. I used to go to church every weekend in Guatemala. But he said, I haven't been going to church lately. I went to a church with a friend, but I didn't like the church that I went to. Something was off. And then he said, I had a dream. And the dream was that a friend of mine would come to me and tell me, listen, come to my church. And in the dream, the friend tells him, the church is very close to your house. It's right around the corner from your house. And he woke up from his dream. And a couple of days later, one of his friends, a Seventh-day Adventist, comes to him and says, come to my church with me. At first he was like, oh, I'm not so sure. But he finally decides to go. He gets ready that day, ready to go to church. The friend comes by in a car and literally three blocks from his house is the Seventh-day Adventist church. And he walks right into that church, just like he had seen in his, in his dream. God is working in amazing ways if we put ourselves out there. And the reason that many times we don't experience the power and the presence of God is because our faith in Him is mixed with doubt and perplexity with the problems and issues of life. Many times we go through things that are just difficult and we want to trust God, we want to live by faith, but there's a little doubt and there's a little perplexity going on. And that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. Let's give a little context to this book. This man is a prophet of God and he lives in the kingdom of Judah, which is a southern kingdom. Because if you remember your Bible history, after King David came King Solomon, and after King Solomon came who? Hmm? Who came after King Solomon? Hmm, Bible trivia time. Well, for a little bit, there was a king that lasted for just a little bit, but he didn't really reign, right? Because what happened immediately after Solomon? The kingdom was split into two. The northern kingdom was called? The northern kingdom was called? Israel. The southern kingdom was called? Judah. How many tribes did the northern kingdom have? Ten. How many tribes did the southern kingdom have? Two. Which kingdoms were they? What tribes were they? Judah, of course, and? And Benjamin. Now, what was the biggest difference that made Judah more attractive than Israel? It had Jerusalem. It had the temple. And little by little, the kingdom of the north, wanting to be better than the kingdom of the south, was telling people, don't go down to Jerusalem. We're going to build our own place of worship till finally people were getting into idolatry, people were going away from the Lord, and God sent prophet after prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, warning them and telling them to turn back from their ways. But they did not listen until finally that terrible kingdom of Assyria came down, conquered the ten tribes, dispersed them over the Syrian kingdom, and they disappeared into history. Now, you might hear go on YouTube and say, we found the ten hidden tribes of, of Israel, and they're over here in, in Ethiopia, they might say. You know, they're over here in China. All the people have these theories, but they're lost. 
They were intermarried and lost. So there only remained Judah, the kingdom of the south, with the two tribes. And that's where this prophet Habakkuk was. And the problem was that he was living in a time where Judah was now following after the footsteps of Israel that had been destroyed. The same injustices, the same violence, the same bad things were happening. And Habakkuk knew what had happened to Israel, and he said, oh no, Lord, do something. He was living during a very difficult time. But here's where Habakkuk is different than the other minor prophets. In the other minor prophets, God gives a message to the minor prophet and says, go to this nation, tell them all their sins, tell them all the evil things they're doing, warn them that if they don't change their ways, this judgment is going to come upon them, we're going to destroy them or you know, something bad is going to happen, and if you repent, God will have mercy. And that's what you remember of the prophets. They give warnings, they give prophecies, of judgment and they tell you turn back from your evil ways well that's the big difference in the book of Habakkuk Habakkuk doesn't talk to the nation of Judah in fact this whole book is really a conversation between God and Habakkuk it's a dialogue back and forth in fact you could say that it is the complaints of Habakkuk against God the biblical jargon for complaints is laments. The laments of Habakkuk against the God of heaven because of what is happening in the nation of Judah. I like to think of it in more modern terms. And so what's a modern term for a lament or a complaint? You know what I thought of? The thing that comes to my mind is the Google reviews. Have you seen Google reviews? Have you seen uh, something called Yelp reviews? Have you seen that? Did you know that our church has a Google review? You look at our church on UChurch on Google, and it'll come up, and then it'll have reviews of what people have said about our church. As a pastor, I go on there. What are they saying? What are they saying? Have you guys said anything good on our reviews? What do you do when you go to a restaurant? You want to look up the reviews. What do people say about that restaurant? What do people say about the church? I've read reviews of other churches, and you know they usually give you one star to five stars. I remember someone writing, I would give you a five-star review, not our church, another church, but I'm going to give you a four-star review because after the sermon, there was no praise music time. Okay. I would give you a five-star review, but the worship leader was dressed like he just came from mowing the lawn, so they got a one-star. And they have all these complaints on the internet about churches. Does that seem a little ridiculous? They have all these complaints. People complain about the carpet. People complain about the special music. Not, not today, though. Today, no one was complaining about that. We're giving that the five-star treatment. And it seems kind of ridiculous that people would actually give reviews to churches and, and that people would actually go and look at these reviews. But it seems even more ridiculous that Habakkuk is reviewing God and laying a lament or a complaint about God. But that's what this book is about. It's not the prophet talking to the people. It's the prophet talking to God. So let's get into his first Yelp review of God, his Google review of God in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. And this is what he says in Habakkuk chapter 1 
and verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. So what's his first complaint? What is one of the elements of his first complaint? I've been crying for a long time and you're not hearing me. Sometimes you guys do that in restaurants, right? You've waited an hour and no matter if the food's delicious, you leave a bad review because I waited too long for my food. I was here for too long. His complaint is, God, I've been crying to you for a long time. You don't hear me. Verse 3, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Listen to the words that he uses in this complaint. Violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering, strife, contention. Things are bad in Judah, aren't they? Things are not looking good in this country. And in fact, the Bible is so neglected that there is violence and injustice and worst of all, the leaders tolerate it. They are corrupt themselves. So when I read the complaint number one, I find two major elements there. The first one is found in the beginning of verse two, and the second is found at the beginning of verse three. And remember, the whole point of the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk is trying to grow from a faith of perplexity and doubt to absolute trust in God. And that's why that book is relevant for you. Because I know that many are struggling with a faith of perplexity and doubt. In other words, you believe in God, you believe in the Bible, you know He's real, but you doubt His ways and you're perplexed at His actions or inactions. You're just like, what are you doing, God? You know He's there, you believe in Him, but you're just like, what's going on? Why are you acting or not acting this way? And so the book of Habakkuk is trying to take us from that type of faith of perplexity and doubt to a faith of absolute trust in God. And the number two, the top two questions that arise in a faith of perplexity and doubt are found at the beginning of verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1. He says, how long? And then at the beginning of verse 3, why? Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar to you? I know it does. How many times have I heard and counseled with many of you or heard you counsel with other people? And the number one thing is, how long is God going to let me go through this trouble? How long is God going to allow this to happen in my life? How long, how long until he answers my prayer? How long until I find a job? How long until my health gets better? How long until I find Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect and settle down and have a family and have kids? How long? How long? And when the answer doesn't come, then you start questioning God with the why. It's almost like you get upset at him. Why? Why? Why would you do that to me? Why would you allow this to continue? Why, God? Why? And so this sounds very relevant to me because even though it was written thousands of years ago, it is the experience that we go through when we have a faith of perplexity and doubt. 
And so the complaints of Habakkuk towards God is a real one that is relevant today. So these laments are found in other places in the Bible. And let me just read them to you. This is want to stay in the book of Habakkuk. But in Psalms chapter 13, verse 1, who is also good at complaining to God? David, right? He says there in chapter 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And finally, Psalms chapter 94, verse 3. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? So how does God respond to this question of how long and why in the book of Habakkuk? Well, he answers with two of the most powerful and memorable verses that you could find in Scripture. In fact, one of them has been repeated three other times in the New Testament because the New Testament writers found it so powerful that they needed to include it in their own book. So how long? God's response to how long is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, which is our verse in our Scripture for today. So turn to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3. And how long will God allow that problem in your life? How long will God allow that challenge? How long will God allow this to continue is the complaint of Habakkuk. What is the answer of God? For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. In chapter 2, we find that God gives an answer to the injustices that are happening in Judah. God has a solution, but he says, you have to wait for it. I know you feel like it's going to take a long time, like it's tarrying, but it will come. It is for sure. God has a solution for your problem. God has an answer to your prayer. God has already known what is going to happen, but he's telling you, be patient. Now, when you doubt someone, you have no patience with that answer. But when you trust someone completely, then that answer satisfies. Isn't that true? When you doubt someone and they say, wait, you're just thinking they're putting you off. When you doubt someone, they say, wait, you think they don't have the answers. They're just buying time. But when you trust someone completely and they say, wait, then that just makes me settle down and be calm because I know it will happen. I know it will come true. We just, I still have that relationship with my daughter. She still trusts me at this age 100%. I don't think I've let her down. Maybe, but I'm not sure. Maybe she doesn't remember. So when I tell her to wait for something, I better come through because she has complete trust in me. And she will remind me if I haven't delivered. And she'll hold it. So be careful what you promise your children. And I got in trouble because I told her that if she says Papa first, or Dada, one of the two, before she says Mama, I'm going to buy her a car when she's a teenager. 
And even though she was too young to understand, my wife heard it. So now I got to deliver. When God says, wait, it will come. Be patient. If you trust him 100%, then you will have peace waiting for that answer. So what about the why? Why, God? Why are you allowing this? Now, God doesn't give a direct answer to the why, but he gives kind of an indirect answer that is a powerful text that is repeated three times in the New Testament scripture. And that's found in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Tell me if you remember this text, or at least half of it. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Have you heard that before? Where have we heard that before? In the book of Romans, we also know that that text was the one that fired up the great reformation, justification by faith. But here, what is Habakkuk telling us with the answer to why? The just shall live by his faith. In other words, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to me? Why is this occurring to me? Why, God, why would you not take this away from me or rescue me? And the answer of God is not defending himself and giving you a step-by-step explanation of his ways. He's just saying, you know what? The just shall live by faith. In other words, if you trust me, you're going to go right through this problem. If you believe in me, this is not going to kill you. If, if you completely believe what I say to you, then this big why will become nothing. Because the just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith, friends? Are you living by wise? Hmm? Are your prayers, are they prayers of trust? Are there prayers of, why, complaint number one, I'm docking you, God, five stars no longer, now you're down to three, complaint number one. I've always been embarrassed, by the way, of complaints. Have you guys been embarrassed of complaints? When I used to go out to uh, eat with my parents, my dad was pain, and especially when you're vegan or vegetarian and you guys all go out to eat, and uh, you know, sometimes they mess up in the order, sometimes they mess up on the order, and um, so... We tell him, my dad always had no shame. You know, it's just uh, the way he was brought up. He, excuse me. Excuse me. Dad, don't, don't do that. Excuse me. Lady comes over. Yes. Uh, I'm vegetarian. Remember I said no cheese or no meat or whatever they put on there. Uh, I, I can't eat this. Can you take this back? And I'm just, you know, putting my head down, trying to make it seem like no one can see me. I just feel embarrassed with complaints. And so what happens is that they'll bring back the plates and invariably, you know, <laughs> they, they took out the cheese from, you know, the bottom, but then they'd still sprinkle cheese on top or, you know, they take out the chicken, but they leave the bacon. And I'm just like, Dad, just, it's good, it's good, just come on, you can eat some of my food. My dad's like, excuse me, again, I'm, oh, it's so embarrassing, right? And again, like everybody's looking at us and the waiter's already seeming a little annoyed. And he lodges a second complaint. I mean, one complaint, okay, we could get through that. Two complaints, 
I'd rather just leave the restaurant, right? It's like, I don't want to do another complaint. But in the book of Habakkuk, he doesn't only give one complaint to God, but he gives two complaints to God. Because the first complaint, God answers him, but when God answers him, the answer is worse than what the original problem was. So what was the original problem? The original problem is that Judah's a mess. There's sin all over the place. There's injustice. There's violence. There's judges that are giving bad judgments. The leadership has been corrupted. And so he's like, God, why are you going to let this go on forever? Answer me. Do something. Why? When? So God's like, all right. Complaint? I'm going to take care of it. Don't worry. So what is the answer that God gives to complaint number one? God's response is found in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Chapter 1 verse 5 of Habakkuk. What does he answer to complaint number one about the injustices and corruption in Judah? All right, God says, I got an answer for you. Look among the nations and watch. It's almost like he's excited. Be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful and their judgments and their dignity proceed from themselves. So what was uh, Habakkuk's uh, complaint? Israel, I mean Judah, is corrupt, is unjust, there's violence, do something. And what's God's answer? Don't worry, I got this. You see that terrible nation, that violent nation, that crushing nation? I'm going to bring them down to Judah. How about that? And Habakkuk's just like, I should have kept my, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Because the solution is worse than the original problem. Because now he's faced with the extinction of his people. So he doesn't stay quiet, but he says, excuse me, this plate is worse than the first one, okay? I need to take this one back too. This one's no good. This is not the answer I was looking for. Have you had that before in your life? You pray about something, you ask God for something, God's all excited, he comes into your life with an answer, but you don't like the answer? You're like, God, let's send that back. Let's send that back. Because, you see, God's greatest task is not to answer your requests according to your needs or even your wants. His greatest task is to take you from a faith of doubt and perplexity to a faith of absolute trust. And sometimes to get there, the way is, way is strange some way, right? It is strange sometimes. But Habakkuk didn't like this, so he lodges complaint number two. And it seems like a just complaint. He says to God pretty much in verse 12 of Habakkuk chapter 1, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. In other words, don't let us die. Don't let Babylon destroy us. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. In other words, 
Israel is supposed to be corrected, not to be destroyed. In verse 13 of chapter 1, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. He's talking about Babylon. And cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously? And here's his great argument or complaint number two. And hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than, than he. So in other words, I'm not saying that Judah is righteous, but they're more righteous than Babylon. So his complaint number two is very simple. In other words, Babylon is even worse than Judah. In other words, why are you punishing wicked people with an even more wicked people? Does that make sense? Does that seem like a just response? Right? He's like, why are you doing this? And, 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 and Habakkuk is going from a faith of doubt and perplexity to a faith of even more doubt and perplexity. I mean, the more answers he gets to complaints, the more he doesn't understand God's ways and God's plans. And so he lodges his complaint number two with God. Now, let's take a pause there and just think about God. How do you do when people complain about you? If you work someplace, if you do something? I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, with pastors, it's like, you know, we take things personally, right? It's like, oh, you didn't like my sermon? Oh, that really hurt. You know, I prepared 20 hours for this thing. What do you mean you don't like it? Um, or, you know, when you're working somewhere, and how many of you work in the service industry? Service industry. All right? When people say bad things about your service, when you've done your best, how does that make you feel? When you create a product and people say, I don't like how you've done it, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel kind of like, I don't want to talk to this person, right? I remember I went to the barber down the street here, and uh, it's one of those young barbers that do all sorts of shapes in your head and different type of things. And uh, they talk a lot at barbershops. I didn't know that until I started going to a barbershop. But I guess the movies are true. I think the TV shows, they always talk about barbershops. Everybody's talking. They, they say what they think. And I remember I was sitting there in a chair, and a gentleman got a haircut, and then he left, and he complained, right? He complained about his haircut. He complained about the price, and he walked out. For the next hour of my haircut, that's all they talked about. They said, we never want that guy to come back. If he didn't like our haircut, well, good riddance. You know, he could go down the street to somewhere else. 20 bucks, he complained about 20 bucks. Doesn't he know that that's a good price? And they just kept talking and talking and talking. God here has been complained about not once, but what? And it's in the Bible. You know, if someone leaves a bad review in our, in our church Google, I'm going to tell you guys all, go on there and flood it like with a hundred good reviews. So he hides it all the way in the bottom, right? I mean, God's putting together this Bible. Why would he include complaints about himself in there? But that shows God's character, doesn't it? He's different. He's willing to enter into a, a dialogue with us. And so complaint number one, Judah is unjust, wicked, and bad. And I've been crying about this, and you have been doing nothing about this. Why? Complaint number two. Your solution is worse than the original problem. How can you let a more wicked nation punish this wicked nation? And so as we come to the end of our 
book here, in chapter 2, what does God's response to his second complaints? Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to jump to verse number 4, which we read already, was his answer. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And then from verse 5 into verse 18, and I'm going to summarize it, he goes ahead and he tells Habakkuk that Babylon is actually going to get destroyed too. So problem number one, it, Judah is bad, it's wicked, it's unjust. Don't worry, I'm going to have Babylon come in and punish them. Well, that solution is worse because they're even more wicked than Judah. Don't worry, God says, I'm going to destroy Babylon as well. But then what God does, what God does is that he describes the reasons that Babylon is going to get destroyed, and they're called the five woes. And I encourage you to read this after church. By the way, this is why I'm preaching from the Bible book, because I know you guys don't read this book. I know that. And so I want you to read this book. He describes five woes that describe the bad things of Babylon. But he doesn't say Babylon. He said nations when he's describing them. And what God is trying to point to is that this message is not only for the time of Habakkuk, but it's for all people in all times. Because these characteristics describe every nation, when given enough time, will become like Babylon. What are the things that are described there? Economic injustices are the first two. The second, uh, the third is that they take advantage of slave labor and threaten people by violence if they don't uh, do what they want them to do. The fourth one is that they drink alcohol and they party it up while other people are suffering. And then finally, the last one is that they are idolatrous to their power. In other words, they worship their power, they worship their money, they worship their might. And what God is trying to tell Habakkuk is that I use wicked nations to punish other wicked nations. But that does not mean that I endorse their actions. Because in the last day, I'm going to punish them all. And they will come to one end. And the reason I'm telling you, Habakkuk, and I'm including it in this book, is because God's people are going to live in nations up until the second coming that are wicked, that are unjust, that are taking advantage of the poor, that are idolatrous. And when I look at our world and our country today, I see the very same characteristics. And I hear the very same complaints. God, do something. God, jump in. We've been crying out. Why haven't you done something? Why are you not intervening? Are you going to allow this country to go this way? Are you going to allow that country to go this way? God, do something. But sometimes we don't like his solutions. But in the end, he says, all things will come to the final judgment. If you read in 
chapter 2 and verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is working. And even though we don't understand it completely, what God is telling us is that you need to go from a faith of perplexity and doubt to a faith of absolute trust, even when you don't understand my ways. But this I can promise to you. If you wait for it, I will punish all evil and all injustice one day soon. So what do we do until that day soon? What do we do until that day? Well, simple. The just shall live by faith. So Habakkuk goes from problems and he ends up in the very last chapter with praises. Listen to the last him that he sings. After he has this conversation with Jesus, he breaks out into song. I like that, right? It's like we talk to Jesus and we just break out into song. That's how excited and happy he is. Verse, chapter 3 and verse 17. This is the conclusion of the matter of his absolute trust with God when he began with perplexity and doubt. It says in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like a deer's feet and will make me walk on my high hills. Wow. What a response. So he goes from perplexity and doubts and complaints to God's final answer saying, Hey, I'm doing a work here that you might not understand. But what I can promise you is if you wait, I'm going to ultimately deal with all evil and all injustices and your job is not to know every detail of my why your job is to live and walk by faith absolute trust in me whether there is herds in the stalls whether the flocks are there whether there's olives or fruits or fig trees are blossoming or not Trust me, because I am worthy of your trust. So God wants us to go from lamenting to praising. He wants you to go from lamenting in the midst of Judah. He wants you to go from lamenting to praise in the midst of Judah. He wants you to go from lament to praise in the midst of Babylon. He wants you to go from lamenting to praise in the midst of whatever problem or issues or injustices or pain that you're going through. Not because the circumstances have changed around you, but because God has never changed. And you could have absolute trust in Him no matter what. So, I'm going to share a little bit, because I've been at the Spanish church, and so I'm listening to a little bit about their experiences. And, uh, you know, whatever you, you, uh, you think on that issue, it's just amazing how 
you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old children could leave their country and travel through violence and dangerous places and come here to, to this country. And I was talking to them because, you know, I've been through Mexico. I've driven through Mexico, and it is, is dangerous. I mean, I, I refuse to go now. I told my father, we can't make that trip anymore. It's too dangerous. And I can imagine going as a 13, 12-year-old girl or boy by myself through all this, to all this land, right? This dangerous land where there's drug dealers, where there's people trying to capture you and sell you as, as slaves pretty much, all to get to the United States to find a better land. And I'm wondering, I'm like, how did you make it? You know, how did you make it? And, and they told me two answers, two answers, okay? One answer was that they found friends and people who helped them along the way, okay? They were going to the most dangerous place at the most dangerous and vulnerable time in their life. And they could have asked God how long or why, but they refused to do that. They just journeyed. They found help through strangers or other people who they met along the way. And the second thing they told me is that they had absolute trust in God during that process. And that's what brought them here. And I think about us, believers. We're going through a more dangerous place than the middle of Mexico, right? And we're in a more precarious time, and we're in a most vulnerable stage in Earth's history. Satan is attacking us on all fronts. And what's going to get you to the promised land? What's going to get you there is other people along the way who help you. Is there someone here that you can help who can help you? Isn't that what church is about? People that help us, support us, pray for us, encourage us along the way? And the second thing that got them there that will get you to the promised land is absolute trust in God when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. And I pray that you will also have that conversation with God and you will go from problems to praise, from perplexity to trust, so that together we could walk into his kingdom. May God bless you on this journey.